Hello and welcome back to the PPC podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Gerhardt, and we're joined again by Pastor Tobin Wilson. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, last week's sermon titled Role Reversal. So Tobin, I saw this uh, funny little uh, gif online that was titled Role Reversal, and uh, it made me think of Sunday morning. And uh, it's, so it starts off, it's got this scene of this boat, and then this person comes jumping out of the water and starts destroying the bottom of the boat. And then the camera pans over and there's a shark with like a captain's hat on. <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing? And it's a scene from Jaws. If the man was a shark and the shark was a man. Nice. And uh, I thought that was funny, right? Really good uh, example of role reversal. That's a good one. Um, so that's, you know, we're not talking about sharks and boat captains, but we're talking a lot about uh, uh, our journey through Exodus and the uh, conflict with Pharaoh. And um, you start off, I think, in a really cool uh, way of explaining to all of us that we shouldn't be like Pharaoh, even though there's a little bit of Pharaoh in all of us. Uh, What do you mean by that? Well, I tried to soften. Well, first of all, it's a tough text, really, all the way through. This This is not a good news story, really. So the only way to talk about this, I think, in a positive way, which culture likes, and actually I like too, is how to avoid being a pharaoh and pharaoh was pharaoh was pretty arrogant pharaoh thought he was basically thought he was god he was the personification of the Egypt, egyptian sun god ra so in his mind he was god personified that brings with it in its job description a certain amount of pride at best arrogance at worst and you know you don't have to look too far into each of us to realize, yeah, there's probably a little bit of Pharaoh in all of us. Uh, and it can come out in a variety of different forms from my way to, or the highway, uh, or that would be a hardcore version of it, but it, it manifests itself in even other softer ways where we'll immediately dismiss some other person based on a stigma or a stereotype that we, somewhere along the line, were fed, bought into, and have, and have ordered our life around that. Um, not being open to the mysteries of the other in any capacity. And that then it becomes even much more insidious and uh, subversive, really. Uh, so there's just a lot of different ways, I think, that, that there's Pharaoh in all of us. Uh, and, and probably a, quite a bit more than simply just a little bit of Pharaoh in all of us. <laughs> My hunch is there's an awful lot of Pharaoh-like behavior uh, and attitudes and belief systems in... In every single one of us, and I think one of the things that I, I personally lament in uh, really in the cultural sh- landscape today as it's shifted rapidly is how quickly uh, we want to hurt each other, tear each other down, not give each other the benefit of the doubt, make, make judgments based on limited information, uh, choose specific slices and form our entire of information and form our entire worldview around that when, when that's just a piece of the pie. So you can hear me talking interpersonal relationships. You can hear me talking social media in this. You can hear me talking politics. You can hear me talking uh, how to live faith out within the church and even without in the, outside of that in the neighborhood, how the church engages in the world and even with who the church engages in the world. So there's a lot embedded in, uh, at best, a little bit of Pharaoh in all of us and more realistically, a lot of Pharaoh in all of us. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I, I think uh, 
maybe by default, uh, arrogance is the, the default way we kind of interact with, with others, and we have to learn how to be more humble and learn how to remove that. And I think the culture, like you said, kind of has uh, created that or is kind of encouraged almost in some ways that your perspective is your perspective. And um, But when you get into interactions with people, hey, you know, if you believe it, then it's 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 your priority and your responsibility to uh, convince others that you're right. You know, uh, it's totally true. I mean, if if you look at his, his social science, for example, in the last forty years, Neil Postman writes a lot about this. Uh, Putnam, the other fellow, I forgot his first name, Bowling Alone, the guy that wrote Bowling Alone, they all talk about how. And I don't know when it happened. It, it happened between the time I grew up and the time I had kids. There was some pretty significant cultural shifts that happened. It's got nothing to do with the sermon, but yet again, it's got everything to do with this, you know, this text that we're looking at. Um, we went from a real community-based, common good focus where you would go to your neighborhood 4th of July party. You would gather with your family weekly if you lived nearby one another. Family reunions were, were very, very important. Um, Again, you called your neighbor Mr. and Mrs. Conrad. That's who lived next door to me. And I called my best friend's parents Mr. and Mrs. Macius. Uh, I didn't even know their first names. Mm-hmm. I, I think, and but but by the time then I had children, all of that had changed. Somebody had rewritten the rules on me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like, wait, what just happened? And and we went from front porches uh, where we all sat out in the evening and watched each other's kids and said hi to each other to air conditioning and uh, no porches. We didn't sit in the front of our house. We might have sat then in the back of our house because we wanted privacy. So we really started to seclude ourselves. And then even in, in popular culture, uh, things things changed because all of a sudden, if I wanted to go to McDonald's or Burger King, I, as a kid, I would go in and I'd order a Whopper. But by the time I had children, I'd take my kids in there and I can get my Whopper um, my way. Right. So, and then it became, so we changed the pronouns from we, us, and our to I, me, and my. And subtle shift, yet re- really, really significant. And we became our, the center of our own universes. And really, uh, postmodernism has, has been a really quick dive into nihilism. Um, now, I'm not trying to be all bad news. There's some good things about that, but you have to look a while to find a good thing about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that that really kind of leads us into one of the first steps you talked about on Sunday to kind of reverse this, this direction that we're heading um, is staying soft to others. Mm-hmm. And it's when you were talking about the neighborhood scene of uh, everyone out in their front yard and, and playing together, the kids playing together, to, to where we are now, where you rarely get to know your neighbor, um, there does, I do sense this, it's, there's some anxiety there in that unknown. You don't know them, they're different, they do things differently than you, they, they look different, they, maybe they speak a different language, you know, and, and so... They eat different food that smells weird, and, right. and it come, the aroma comes into my house and it ruins my hot dog. Right, I mean, American it's just stuff dog. like that, yeah, yeah, you know. And so we really aren't nice to each other anymore. We've become our own. We become our own self-professed pharaoh. And I think the way to avoid being a pharaoh is to just start by slowing all that way down and uh, staying soft to other people. And I really like this: slow down, stay engaged, be tender with each other. 
I mean, that works whether you're uh, cross-cultural in a different part of the world. It works if you're in a conflict with your partner. It works if you're in a conflict with a fellow coworker. And it's hard to do this in real time when you start ramping up. But how, you know, how do you how do you slow it down? Stay engaged with them by asking more questions, not less. Mm-hmm. And all the while trying to to do this in uh, telling the truth, speaking the truth in love, uh, capturing the tenderness of uh, the Imago Dei in each human being. Um, otherwise, we're just an arrogant feral barking out orders. Right. And who wants to be that? Yeah, you're siloed. You're uh, too good to to gain value from anyone else's. Yeah life journey and yeah. who they are. I like that you mentioned um, listen to one another's story. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about people's stories. I often tell um, on Sunday morning, I tell people to come by after service and we want to hear your story. Um, I encourage students to uh, to figure out what their story is, who they are, who their family is. Uh, the journey they've been through is all part of their identity right now in this moment. But I think... Um, like you said, I think we automatically have this built-in innate, maybe it's our sin nature, that our story is still somehow more important than other people's or more significant or more interesting. And we often don't take that moment to consider that that person next to you or living next door or in the car next to you has their own unique story, their own journey with with their family, with who God is, where they are in life is just as important as yours. And I would think that there's a lot of value if we just listen to people's stories and ask questions. I mean, I guess that's maybe self-fulfilling and value to us. Like, how can we grow? But even ignoring whether or not we grow as an individual by learning from somebody else, I think what you're proposing, the simple act of asking questions and listening um, helps us be more humble. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, in the text, it's fascinating. Pharaoh doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. He just barks out orders. It's he was kind of the first troller, mm-hmm. you know. He 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 saw what he saw. He made a quick snap decision about it. He barked out orders. It was the trollification of of the Israelites, and we kind of live that today too. We don't. We just don't stop and listen to each other's stories. We don't. We just don't do it. We want to hurt each other with words, mm. and you know, just being soft to others. Tell me your story. Tell me what your favorite memory as a child growing up was around your favorite holiday. Man, all of a sudden, you ask two good questions like that, you're going to go very far in a relationship with somebody, and you're going to break down tons of barriers in, in 10 minutes. Yeah. And you would never get that way if you were just being a pharaoh head. Yeah. You know? Totally. Um, another, another step that you talk about is staying soft to God. And this uh, step kind of... Uh, mentioned this this verse in the Bible that you said was was your least favorite, or one of your two least favorite verses in, in the entire Bible. And um, not quoting it word for word, but it is the moment where the text says uh, that God hardened the Pharaoh's heart so that uh, the story leads to so that he doesn't re- relinquish and continues to receive the uh, terrible things happening to uh, the Egyptians. So tell us a little bit about why you feel that is, I mean, that's a tough verse for sure, um, causation or not, why you feel that's uh, your least favorite. And and maybe tell us theologically, kind of, if you know, um, 
What's the deal with that verse? Yeah, I, I wish I knew. I don't like it. I don't like that verse. I don't like the story of Saul where um, Saul's tormented. Again, you got to be fairly biblically literate, but God sends an evil spirit to, to torment Saul. What? God removes uh, his grace from Saul. Don't like that. You know, and it's in line with, with Judas betraying Jesus as well. It's the same kind of thing. It's, it's these really harsh, wow, how did that just happen? Um, if God is all these things that I believe because I've read about it in, this, in the sacred story and in this text, it just doesn't reconcile in my mind with the love of God, the justice of God, the unconditional, uh, the unconditionality of God's love and the audacious grace that's poured out time and time and time and time and time again. So I don't like the verse. I don't like the fact that God hardened Pharaoh's heart I, at all. I wish it wasn't there. If I was Thomas Jefferson and write my own Bible, like he did it, he cut out a whole bunch of verses he didn't like. I'd do the same thing. He'd probably one. cut this one out. This would be gone. <laughs> yeah. in, in my Bible, it'd be gone, and there'd be a few others as well. But it's, more importantly, though, could this story have happened without Pharaoh's heart being hardened? And that's the finality of Pharaoh's heart being hardened. But and the way, and I really struggled with this, which is why on Sunday I ordered this, how not to be a Pharaoh. First, you have to stay soft to others. Because if you're not soft to others over and 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 over again, there's no room to be soft to the creator of the others. So the way I kind of pictured this is it wasn't so much that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was more that Pharaoh's heart was hard over and over and over and over and over again. And God finally just said, all right, I've given you, a, you know, a 10 chances. Um, I'm just going to give you what you've wanted in each of those 10 chances. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't so much God zapping him with your, your uh, you know, your hard ass now. Right. Uh, it was more that God just gave him over to all these choices where he chose to be a schmohead and a right. pharaoh. Uh, that's the only way that I that I reconcile it in the flow of the text, which is really important when you get into scriptures like this. It's it's not so much my ability to semantically tap dance around it. All we really have is the text. So noticing what I noticed in the text was he wasn't soft to others, and because of that, there was no way he could remain soft mm. and open to God. Yeah. Does that make sense? And in yeah. other texts and other scriptures, it's fascinating to me. Paul talks about in, in uh, Romans, it is God's kindness that leads to repentance. So it's the kindness of God always extended to people which leads to a changed heart. And if that's true of God, it's probably true of us. So I, I think there's an aspect that you can, you can uh, be soft towards others and in the practice of that, wake up one day, and the accumulation of that is, oh my gosh, now I'm soft towards God, and I never mm. thought I would be. Yeah. So we almost practice your way into faith unbeknownst to you. Now, Pharaoh practiced his way into unfaith uh, unbeknownst to him, Right. which is why this is a tough text, yeah. and I wish it wasn't there. It kind of sounds like, and you know, not to... We definitely can't change the definition of the word if we want to, but it kind of sounds we're revolving around maybe um, 
you know, God allowed his heart to continue to be hard, you know, as opposed to this word that makes us think that God caused it. You know, maybe what happened in that story is that, like you said, he, he lived his life in a way um, and God was using people, other people in his life to, to try to get him to soften his heart. But then it came a point where it wasn't going to happen and God gave up trying to change that person um, and allowed his heart to be hardened as yeah. it already was and continued. Well, that's interesting. I mean, and I don't, that might even be too strong. I think... I don't know that God gave up as much as Pharaoh wouldn't stop being a Pharaoh. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the end result is, all right, that's your choice over and over and over again. I have no choice other than to honor your choices, which becomes your big choice. Right. So yeah. it's interesting. And, and, and the Judas story, similar, Saul's story, although I haven't really read that one recently, but as I go through it in my mind right now, each of those could be run by the same grid, and you could, based on the flow of the text, which is all we have, argue the same role. Right. You know, I mean, after all, Moses and Aaron went to him 10 times. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and there may have been more than those 10 times. We just know in the, in the story there were 10. Probably were others. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so you... Uh, as we continue to kind of work through this story, we see this moment um, where Pharaoh is again kind of presented with this opportunity to uh, stop his ways and, uh, in other words, an opportunity to accept what God is trying to do. And he he has this interesting tactic that we use and says, well, okay, maybe, but I'll just do it tomorrow. Can we do that tomorrow? Can we can we just do that another time? Uh, for whatever reason, I'm not willing and ready to do that right at this moment. So instead, I'm going to put it to tomorrow, which ends up possibly always being tomorrow. And then uh, we learned that uh, this idea of uh, putting what needs to be done today on tomorrow kind of surfaces in different ways. And you listed nine uh, different ways that tomorrow can surface in the lives today. And um, we can go through that list a little bit because on Sunday morning, it kind of went, went through them quickly. But I think there's some interesting things in there. Um, of those nine, you know, what are the, f- the f- a couple of them that you think is important for us to, to take a deeper dive into? Mm. Um, well, for those that may not have heard something, let me recap a little, little bit about it so they get why why this be careful of tomorrow is a is an aspect of how not to be a pharaoh. Uh, there's these ten plagues that are sent to Pharaoh um, through Moses and Aaron and by God to change Pharaoh's mind to just to simply let the Israelites go free out of four hundred years of forced labor, uh, which is a long time to build your economy on 400 years of oppression of a people. So I get why he wouldn't be very, he would be very reluctant to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's his whole labor force, right? And this is about his eternity too. I mean, he needed enough stuff to carry him through for forever and eternity. That's why he needed pyramids and he needed uh, servants for every day and he needed enough riches to buy everything he needed for however long eternity was. For him, right. so it was all about a trickling up, you know. And it's these commoners 
Israelites that were paving the way, not just for him in the moment, but throughout all eternity, which is fascinating. But after the second the second plague was a sent a bunch of frogs and frogs are cool kind of I remember dissecting them you know as a yeah. teenager or junior high or something like that and I'm not going to go into some of the stories but I remember very vividly dissecting a frog in 7th or 8th grade class with a guy named Dave Blickle and and uh, Jeff Anderson and we probably didn't treat that frog as well as we ought to have uh considering uh all things <laughs> but there's this plague and frogs are everywhere and I don't know about you but if I got frogs in my house my bed my car my chariot whatever it is and I have an opportunity to get rid of them I'm going to do it today but curiously in the text Pharaoh says not today I'll let you go tomorrow which right. is classic human behavior why would I do today what I can always push off and do tomorrow in other words um yeah, I'm being a schmohead, but I'm not going to worry about it right now. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of ways that tomorrow manifests itself in our culture. And I did cruise through these pretty quick. Uh, I think arrogance is, is obviously a big one. And Pharaoh demonstrated that significantly. I think we're all arrogant. I think uh, arrogant people don't ask a lot of questions because they know everything. Uh, humble people are the ones that are open to each other. Conversely, then they're open to God. Why they just ask a lot of questions? There's there's a curiosity there. Um, but if you were to encourage an arrogant person to be humble today, the natural response would be, "Ah, I'm right. You're wrong. My way, highway. Right, right. I'll do this tomorrow. I'll wait until I'm in that much pain before I consider." Which Pharaoh actually gets his tomorrow down the road a little bit too. Um, I don't know, which of these jumped out at you? We listed things like deism and atheism and agnosticism, um, skepticism, cynicism, sarcasm, scarcity, uh, unchecked patriotism. You know, actually, that may be a really big one. There's what's going on in our country today is it's a culture war and it's a religious war. Um, and it's really, it's really unfortunate in a lot of different respects. There are some people of faith with very deep faiths that, don't, that do not believe that politics should be in a part of one's walk with faith and God in any way, shape, or form. But this story classically uh, is a rebuttal of that. Uh, the church doesn't have a social platform. The church is its own social platform. Uh, and it's not Republican or Democrat. It's the politics of God in the ways of the world. So what does justice look like for the Israelites who are oppressed? It means freedom. What does justice look like for Pharaoh? Uh, release. Hmm. Let, let, let my people go. He doesn't want to do it. He's arrogant. He defaults to, well, these bad things keep happening, but you know what? My whole economy is built on this structure. I'll just do it tomorrow. Yep. I'll just do it tomorrow. Sorry, microphone. I'll just, I'll just get it done another day. And so, and so there's this tendency to, to push things off um, when we really need to deal with it today. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I think we're so good at that, right? Putting things off tomorrow. Um, 
because we don't want to maybe deal with it. When I read through these, I, I kind of looked at the ones that revolved around belief systems like atheism and agnosticism and pantheism, which is kind of like God is the universe and the universe is God. And, you know, it, it, um, as a believer, you know, I look at that and think those are, those kind of lean towards this tomorrowism because the finality of life ends and we can't escape that. And that we all are, we all have to, not that people who don't believe in God haven't dealt with that, but we all have to really think about like, what is after all of this, mm-hmm. you know? And I think there's this temptation um, for many of us have gone through this in our own, in our own life is uh, I just don't want to deal with that right now. That's yeah. such a big question. Uh, what, what, what happens after all of this? Um, man, that is so deep. I, people disagree on that. That seems really complicated. I think that's what religion is. I think that's what non-religious people, atheism is, man, that is such a big thing. I just, I'll think about it later. I'll think about it when I'm older. I'll think about it when I'm, uh, understand more of the world. But the reality is, is that, um, uh, we're not promised a tomorrow or a long life, you know? And so, um, that to me, that's a really good example of the, the problem with tomorrow thinking, but also the, um, the issue is that, uh, there won't always be a tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. I mean, every, every person of faith or non-faith has to do diligence in why they believe what they believe, you know? So for, as a Christian man, myself, I'm constantly doing due diligence and testing. Is this working? Do I see still see God? In what ways do I see God? So there's there's an honest doubt. Uh, there's an honest personal reflection of, about faith. How can you not see a gun a gunman walking into a Florida school? and opening fire and not question the reality of God's existence. So there's all kinds of moments where we have to test our faith to see that it's real. And and everyone does that. A Buddhist does that. A, a, a Taoist does that. A Hindu does that. Um, Christians do that. And even atheists do that. They're all belief systems. Uh, and, and, a, and an atheist belief system is, I believe that there is nothing, and that's just the same kind of belief system that I have that says, in other words, they're both belief systems. Right. Where I think atheism is another form of tomorrow is, um, unless it's a very thoughtful, there is no God, which is a belief system, uh, it becomes a tomorrow. Eventually, you have to test the truth claims of that non-truth claim. Mm-hmm. Right, and unless that's done, it's just another form of tomorrow. Right, uh, and you can take other things as well. I think I listed cynicism, for example. Cynicism is or sarcasm. Cynicism is interesting because cynicism is usually a default from someone who may have had faith, did due diligence in their faith, found God to be lacking, hasn't drifted totally into perhaps agnosticism or, uh, at best, atheism at worst. but So they're just sitting in this place of hurt and pain, undealt with. Mm-hmm. It's a form of tomorrow when it continues to hold you captive as a victim in the sense that you're oppressed. You are not free 
because that cynicism has now become a habitual long-term kind of behavior and you're you're you've just made a home in the hurt and the pain with no way forward and in that sense it becomes a tomorrow yeah, yeah. i mean i could keep going do you want me to i mean yeah. sarcasm is the same thing sarcasm is in fact i know a lot of people I've often talked about sarcasm. It literally means in the Greek word sarx. Um, it comes from, which in Greek is flesh. So sarcasm literally means to tear one's flesh. So there's a, there is a form of violence around sarcasm. I do know a lot of people that believe sarcasm is a healthy response in a violent world. Uh, it's a cathartic response when you've been so hurt, when you've been so wounded, instead of lashing back eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you, you self-defend with a sarcastic statement, which is meant to bite. Hmm. You know, 90% of sarcasm is really funny. Maybe even 95% of sarcasm is really, really funny, but the 5% really stings and it really hurts because you're tearing someone's flesh, hmm. either literally or metaphorically. You know, you're wounding them. So where I think where I think sarcasm becomes a, another form of tomorrow is when you habitually and perpetually place yourself in that sarcastic state of pain, anger, and undealt with woundedness, and you reside there. Right. There's no freedom there. There's no willingness to look for freedom, and it becomes another form of tomorrow, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I let the really smart people out there wrestle with this a little bit more, but that's the way in which I've processed the, some of these things in in my own life. Yeah, no, I think that's really I think that's really important, and I think that's something that we should all think about. You know, something I think it's important that we talk about. You know, I I know probably for you and for myself, you know, being in ministry for a long time, and we've seen people in their spiritual journey um, think about the freedom of Christ. And even that act becomes a tomorrow. And I, and I witnessed many, many students and young adults, you know, have this deep mm -hmm. desire to follow after God. Um, either they've made a decision, or they're contemplating that decision, like to kind of live fully for God. And yet they use this. Well, I'll, maybe I'll just do it tomorrow. You know, there, there's this anxiety of, of what does life look like, free from all of my hang-ups and hurts and and sins. Um, I just want to encourage people who are listening that, you know, a life free of all those things is 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 so incredible that it's difficult to explain, and they they don't have to live um, with that with that 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 deep fear and anxiety of of not being enough um, and not being able to to get beyond those things that that Christ offers uh, true freedom from all of that, mm, you know, yeah. and uh, you just have to to do it today. Um. So I just want to thank you uh, for joining us, and uh, Toby, thanks again for having us go through uh, your message on Sunday. Uh, hopefully, didn't uh, mess you up as you get ready for next week and uh, have too many things to think about. No, it's it's awesome. I'm really glad to do this. Thanks so much for hosting. You're a great host, and uh, more than anything else, I hope people chew on this. You know, between Sunday or, or at least more than hearing it for 25, 30 minutes, and then shelving it somewhere that you know the whole the whole purpose of this is to is to bring it back up so that we think about it more even even words that might not have needed to be defined in 
the presentation on Sunday. Mm -hmm. I do this on purpose because I, I want people to go home later and pull out their app, their their dictionary app, and start looking. What does deism mean? What does atheism mean? What is an ad, what is an agnostic? I mean, the fact that an agnostic is somebody who believes in God but but lives like there isn't one, and the incongruency in that mm -hmm. is another form of tomorrow. Right. And I do that all the time. I'm, I, we all struggle with being an agnostic. I believe one thing and I live a different way. Right. And that grieves me. That hurts. Um, but the challenge in a message like this is don't be a pharaoh. Deal with it today. Stay soft to each other. That allows you to stay soft to God so that, so that you can honestly look at the things that you need to deal with in your life today and deal with it because freedom is available in and through Christ period yeah. you know so yeah good to be with you yeah thank you and, and i think the cool thing about this is that uh it all culminates on easter uh where where we relive that moment of freedom for all of us that's right so i hope that people join us on sunday and especially on easter thanks for listening thanks garrett